Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, your client loaned $100,000 to a former business partner to use to flip properties, but the former partner used the money to pay off his own personal debts. Yeah, Dennis, the challenge here was that the defendant claimed to not have any money. Even his own lawyer claimed the defendant wasn't paying him. So how did you resolve it? Well, we put his money where his mouth was, asking, why don't you just agree to stipulate to a judgment that would save our client and his tens of thousands of dollars pursuing this matter in court. Now my client has a judgment as though he had gone to trial and won. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. podcast with me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. You know, we, we look upon what's happening in Europe. This is the, the Angela Merkel Europe, the one where she decided unilaterally to allow 800,000 Syrian migrants to come uh, with open arms. And of course, it wasn't just to open it up to Germany because by because of the rules of the European Union, uh, once you get into Europe, you're, you're allowed to roam freely wherever you want. It doesn't matter. Um, the, I think it's called the Schengen, the Schengen rules uh, or rule. It, that that if, if you're in Germany, well, then you can go to Italy. If you're in Italy, then you can go to France and so on. So there's she, – she made a unilateral decision for all of Europe, not, not just Germany. Now, Germany may have been the ultimate uh, landing spot for a lot of these Syrian migrants because Germany has the best – um, economy compared to all the other countries in Europe. Fair enough. But they're spreading out everywhere. And the danger of this, of course, is that Europe will change. And, and they never, it never dawned upon them that there might be consequences to this massive migration, that they will make demands to maybe, you know, the most extreme demand, of course, being for Sharia law, but they'll also make demands that are less than that. They will make demands for uh, you know, not serving uh, non-halal meat and otherwise, and and basically to intimidate the existing majority culture into submission, um, simply by fear of uh, of insulting anybody else. Okay, particularly the Syrian migrants. Now, of course, it's not just Syrian migrants; it'll be anybody that that chooses to call themselves a, a migrant. Why would you? Why would you discriminate? Uh, among Syrian migrants versus, say, let's say, Turkish migrants or, say, Lebanese migrants or whatever. Are you literally going to say, well, I'm sorry, you're not a Syrian migrant, therefore I'm going to stop you right here at the border? So 800,000 turned out to be a million, of course, and it's going to be even more so next year. And you can't help but think that there's a death wish going on, right? We've talked about this a little bit before. A death wish. What do I mean by that? I, I, do I mean that they literally want to, the, the migrants to kill them? No. But there is this sense of that they don't really understand their own culture. And the death wish is, is, a, is a wish, almost like a suicide that Europe is engaging in. They have no sense of purpose. 
and they wonder why they, they even exist. And they just feel, you know, in the same way that a, somebody who realizes, oh, gosh, I don't have any purpose in my life. You know, they kill themselves, right? But most people who, who kill themselves will kill themselves not because, you know, um, their, their parent doesn't love them or their wife left them. It's usually, it's not for that reason that they kill themselves. They kill themselves because they lack purpose. They don't understand what the role is. And they get into a depression funk. And I think that's what you can say about Europe altogether. Europe is like the suicide who wants to kill himself because he just doesn't understand what his role is. And, and Europe is engaging exactly in that. Their, their culture is falling apart. And they don't know why they even have a culture. So they simply say, here, open the doors. Do something. Create a culture for me. You can kill us if you like. Kill our culture in particular. And, and you guys do with it what you will because God knows we don't know what we, who we are. And for whatever reason they're doing that, because they feel guilty about uh, Nazism and fascism and, and they feel the need to be overly PC and tolerant and so like that, whatever the reason, it doesn't matter. The fact is that they, they want the vacuum to be filled. And they're, they're, it's, it's almost like intuitively, psychologically, they need something to give your purpose again, even if it's the some radical Islamist ideology, even if it's Sharia law, even if in, the, in all the mayhem there is rape and pillaging and uh, sexual slavery, even if they're, I, I, I hesitate to say, but I think they're okay with that because they're certainly not prosecuting these men who are doing these horrific rapes. By the way, you and I predicted these rapes would happen. It was, it was kind of obvious, right? It was not a great prediction on yeah, our part. Yeah, you couldn't miss it. You couldn't miss you it. You couldn't miss it. The one thing we were wrong about, as always, is the, the extent of the rapes. And how soon it happened. Yeah, and how soon. Exactly. Yeah. We thought they would wait a couple of years, you know, and slowly, you know, a little bit here and there. But I guess they just can't help themselves. They just went right to town and because they, they feel like somehow these, these women are, are theirs for the taking. It's, it's a horrific attitude, of course. What we also didn't expect is that they would be these gang rapes, these just like, like, like uh, what do you call it, flash mobs? It's like flash mob raping. They just decide, let's do it now. And all of a sudden, the, the, this horrific stuff happened, like in New Year's Eve on, uh, in Cologne, Germany. And uh, all these women were all of a sudden molested, and some of them were raped. Anyway. And, and what's interesting is a couple of years ago in Tahrir Square, it happened. That would be 2010. Right. And so Europe saw what these kind of people were capable of, yet they still just rolled out the welcome wagon to them, said, come on in. Yeah. They, they, I don't know what it is that they thought would be any different uh, when they brought these uh, migrants over. You, you know, and, and you could say, look... I'm sure the vast majority of them are nice and they're peaceful and everything else using the vast majority argument, right? But surely you must have said to yourself, well, even if the vast majority of them are, are nice and peaceful and want families and such, let's say only 5% of them are mean and vicious. Well, then 5% of, of a million is, is 50,000. That's a lot of bad guys that you're introducing into the country. That's and of a course, a lot of people who like rape. Yeah. They can do a lot of havoc, yeah. uh, and it's not five percent. Sadly, it's it's much more than that. And a lot of the migrants, it wasn't as if the, the migrants were 
evenly distributed uh, as a reflection of the, the, the Syrian society. It's not as if there's an, a half-half in terms of male-female. It's a lot more men than female, a lot more adults than children, um, and a lot more young men than old men. So you, you have this, you know, of, of the 800,000, a really large portion of them are young men of radicalized age who are really quite, um, you, you would, you want to worry. Okay, now, then they, they, they get you, of course, by saying, how can you profile me simply because I'm 25 and, a, and, a, and I'm a male? Well, that's just not right. And technically speaking, they're right. But that's the reason why we have borders in the first place, because we want to vet people before they come in. Well, also, that's why we have something called profiling, because it works. Yeah, yeah, it You does. see a guy who looks shady in your neighborhood, you keep an eye on him. Yeah. And you don't look and see a guy walking around your neighborhood who looks shady and say, oh, sorry, it's a black guy, I can't look. I'll just ignore it. Right. It's a... Uh, you know, we, we want to live in a society where we assume the best in everyone until they prove otherwise, right? That's, that's the way we in America operate. Uh, but in some societies that you live in, you, you, you need to be on your toes, and you have to assume the worst in everyone until they prove otherwise. It's like a burden of proof thing in law. And I, I think that at this point, Germany has created a culture where they've assumed that now people are going to have to assume the worst in everyone that they see until proven otherwise. Like that this young male Syrian, for example, is actually a kind man, and he's, he wants to just have a, a floral shop, and, uh, and he wants to understand German, and he wants to embrace democracy and everything else. Well, okay, let's wait until, that, until we see that man doing that, right? And what a shame. What a shame that this is one of the, 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 the tragedies that have, has occurred you know, from, from this massive influx of refugees, the, the consequences that nobody ever thought about. It's classic liberalism, right? Open the doors because it feels good, not thinking for a moment that this might lead to greater crime. I wonder if she even thought for a moment, Angela Merkel, um, or, or her cronies, even for a moment, um, that, you know, gosh, I wonder if there's going to be like one more rape than I expected, one more murder, one more theft, just one. Did, did that enter her mind? Did she say, well, it's okay in light of that, that being such a small ratio. I'm willing to sacrifice one woman's, you know, sanity and, and totally destroy her life because I think for the greater good of these other 799,999 people that uh, it, it's good. Now, I, I just don't even think she entered any calculus at all. She just thought, let's bring them in, not thinking of any consequences. Yeah, that's so interesting. But the, oh, but, but the consequence that I want to talk about even more is that it's the psychological consequence, how it actually changes not only the culture, but changes what I call the burden of proof what we, that we just talked about, where suddenly now you've made every German distrustful of the outsider, that, that indeed they do have to assume the worst in, in their neighbor before they are proven otherwise. You're saying basically it's turned them into the xenophobes that they were avoiding on being from right. the get-go. Yeah, that they were trying so badly to, to avoid being. Yeah, you know it's so interesting. We call that irony. Yeah, you know it's so legal interesting. Term. Speaking of irony, how you said, uh, I wonder if Angela Merkel uh, thought to herself, well, if there's one more rape, aren't liberals the king of the 
let's change everything if there's one more. Let's open up all the bathrooms to others to weird gender labor leagues, just in case one transgender That's person so is yeah. offended. Yeah. Let's not cut taxes just in case one social program being cut would re result in one child being hungry. You know, Obama himself. I will not rest if one person doesn't have the job they want, one child goes hungry, one person languishes in prison longer than they should have for some low-level drug offense. Right. It, you know, they're the, yeah. they're the masters of that. And here they're not thinking of if one person gets raped. Yeah, no, that, that, that doesn't matter to them because they're only thinking about the other side of it because of how good it looks to, to them. It's, it's so, it, it makes you angry because the selfishness is breathtaking. The narcissism is breathtaking. The arrogance is breathtaking. All three slightly different things, right? Um, it's not even so much her need to be reelected. She, if she really thought about it, she would realize this would be very, actually devastating to her party's reelection uh, prospects. And it was. They lost a huge election. Oh, they, a they did. Ago. They did. But uh, she thought mostly about how great it would be from a perception point of view. And what a disaster. This will be such a, a watershed moment. Now, the, the actual point, and the reason why we call this the, the battle for free will, is because you can look at this migration of Syrian migrants, or for that matter, North African migrants, and, and, or whoever from the outside, you can look at it and say, my goodness, they're going to change the entire culture. And we talked before about the suiciding of, of Europe. They, they don't want free will. That's my point. The, the demand that, that the Syrian migrants are coming in now and demanding a change upon the European culture, they're basically saying, we're, we're taking away your free will from you. You've squandered your free will. Okay, now, free will is God's greatest gift to us all, isn't it? Right? And we learn from the Bible and otherwise that free will is, is not only a gift, but it, it's something you have to nourish and, and something that requires a great deal of responsibility. Now, for this, I'm going to go back to the story of Pharaoh and Moses. You'll recall that uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Right when, when Moses said, "Look, I'm going to, I'm going to do these plagues and such like that," and and Pharaoh kept on hardening his heart. And I just learned a couple of weeks ago about, or actually last night, what am I saying? Um, that there's great meaning in this. That he hardened his heart, which meant that he refused to open up and see the goodness in what was going on. That Moses wanted freedom, so he 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 relinquished his own free will. Pharaoh. And he did it six times. And then on the seventh time, it's a subtle difference. But in Hebrew, it says, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And you think, well, why would God do that? Why would God create a situation where Pharaoh would be more reluctant to let the Jews leave? And the reason is that God took away his free will. God imposed that. Before, Pharaoh was hardening his own heart. The seventh time, God hardened Pharaoh's heart himself. He took away his free will. And much of the Bible is all about the battle of free will. That's what it is. 
And likewise, in America, in, in the, the battle between conservatism and liberalism, you can really see it as a battle between free will and totalitarianism of dictatorship. And this is what I want to talk about, the battle for free will. I, I see it now so clearly, more clearly than I ever saw it before, that when, when we laugh at liberals for their policies and we say, look at how they fail to see the consequences of what they're doing right. and such like that, in reality, what they're doing, whether it's the minimum wage or the higher taxes or the affirmative action or the, um, you know, the, the common core principle, you know, the, the, the foundation things, all these rules that they want to impose it's, a, it's an effort to take away free will. They don't respect free will. Conservatism loves free will. They see that greatness abounds only as a result of the exercise of free will. And that is the, that's what we're seeing now in America. We see it even with uh, the arrival of uh, Bernie Sanders and why he's so, suddenly so appealing to the younger crowd because they don't want free will. They don't believe in free will. They don't understand free will. That, that explains also, by the way, why college students today, if you ask them, is it okay to restrict free speech so long as it's for what they perceive to be a greater goal, a majority of them now say that's fine. So they don't want free will. Free will is too hard. It's not something that they're willing to throw the responsibility at because it requires responsibility. And that's what we're seeing in Europe today, because it's really the battle of free will. And Europe decided that free will is just too much work. That's why they gave up all the, the freedoms that they once enjoyed a long time ago. Because, well, frankly, I, they, they feel like it, it just doesn't get you very far. They, they'd rather take the easier route yeah, sure, that they'll all live more poorly. They, they know that. They must know that by now. They, they have to be idiots to not understand that. But it's okay because they don't have to think. They don't have to work hard. They don't have to be responsible at the end of the day. They get to be children. And so now you see the necessary result of Europe squandering its free will. It, it just becomes nothing. It's a... It's just a, a series of cities that contain a bunch of old buildings and people that kind of walk around like ghosts, not even understanding why they're there. That's what it's like. It's as meaningful to them that the history of Paris, the history of Italy, the history of anything else, as, as, a, as a porcupine that might walk down the streets. He has, a porcupine has no context of where he is. It's just a bunch of buildings. You know, porcupine wouldn't look up at the at the at El, El Duomo in in Florence and say, "Wow, what a magnificent work of art!" And I see it in the context and how long it took to to build that. No, it would just it would see it as a this, as a no different than it sees this building that we're working in right now. It would not see it as as different in any way from any rock, for that matter. And that's the way Europeans are. They walk around with no no sense of their own surroundings. And, and why? Because they don't, they're, they're ghosts, basically. They don't have any purpose. They don't know what the history is. They don't understand why they're there. All they know is that this country, this government, is supposed to give them a bunch of stuff, whether that's 
free university, free health care, you name it. And I, and I fear for Europe. Uh, I, and, and frankly, I, maybe I shouldn't be fearful anymore at all because I'm just sad for Europe. It's, you, it's done. Fearful gives the connotation that the outcome is in doubt. Right, right. That's, that's why I say it's not, it's not a doubt. It's yeah. set. They've lost. They're conquered. It's yeah. done. Yeah. There's nothing to fear. There's just a reality, a, a, a sadness about right. it. That it's like, it's something like a, so great has been lost and will right. be lost forever. Yeah, you're, you're fearful that the car might go over the cliff as it's heading toward the cliff. And you say, gosh, I hope he sees that he's going over a cliff. Maybe he'll take a left or a right turn and avoid that cliff. But once he goes over the cliff, you're not fearful anymore. You just think, oh, my gosh. Uh, just, it's terrible that it's happened. Well, at that point, you're, you're fearful about something else. You're fearful about what kind of acne you're going to be in. Right. Is the car going to crash and burst into flames? Or are you still going to be alive to that person, experience that? No. Or are you going to die an impact? And this, you're this going to hope you die an impact. This, yeah, exactly. In this, in this example, at least that I'm thinking of in my head, it's a, it's a high enough cliff that you're going to die an impact. And you're done. You're just done. And this is the end of Europe. We're, we're, we, folks, I'm telling you, we're seeing the end of Europe. It's, you know, we don't realize it. It's, it, it the, um, the expression is that the, that the goldfish or the fish doesn't know that it's swimming in water, right? Uh, we, in context, know that it's swimming in water uh, and that we, in context, are breathing air and, you know, and so on. But we don't see in history that we are, in fact, going through these monumental changes. I'll just give you two to, to speak of. One is what I just spoke about, which is what, we're, what we've been speaking about, is that we are witnessing the collapse of Europe in our lifetime. It is the equivalent of seeing, I don't know, the fall of the Roman Empire in our lifetime. You know, it, it happened over a, a decade or two, the fall of the Roman Empire, but then all of a sudden, it was no more. And that's what we're seeing. I, I, it's just, it's so sad to me. It's so, it, it so um, sickens me at the same time. Yeah, it's a completely pathetic waste. Yeah. And you, you start off by saying, what is it about Merkel's position on this? And there are kind of two possibilities. One is rather optimistic. Uh, the one you talked about is they have no appreciation for this stuff. They have no need to defend this culture. They think it's inherently wrong, so they don't value it. And so they're just letting it burn, and they'll only care once it's consumed in ash. And right. they go, oh, I wasted it. Yeah, the like, other oh, like is, the Joni Mitchell song. The other is that opti an optimistic part of me thinks, perhaps, and I pray this is true, that these people in post-war Germany, especially this kind of pacifistic... Uh, citizen of the world kind of gentle soul attitude that these that the Germans especially and Scandinavians have have adopted is maybe this is the kind of thing that will scare them straight and they'll get in touch with their inner testosterone again and hopefully become uh, aggressors I mean you can only hope yeah but what yeah. will that result in because the last two times it happened in the previous century was not good yeah, no, you've got it right. Uh, you've totally got it right. The, the, you know, it reminds me of that. Uh, it was kind of a silly movie, but actually a good movie. It was called uh, Starship Troopers, and uh, or as my brother used to call it, uh, 90210, a space odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> and because it looked, you know, had the kids of, uh, they were very good-looking kids. Anyway, 
it takes, it takes place in the distant future of about 100 years. And you, we're told that it's not a democracy anymore. And you see students in the classroom being taught by a professor um, who talks to them about the failure of democracy and why democracy failed. And he goes, why does democracy fail? Why is it a, a bad system? And, you know, a couple of the students, you know, gave what he perceived to be the right answer, which is because democracy is weak. Democracy fails to, to understand what, the, what must be done. Now, I'm not at all advocating dictatorship. I'm not at all advocating that democracy uh, should be abandoned. On the contrary, it, it, it should be emboldened. Democracy, because it's so, so worthwhile fighting for, it should be fought for. And and our the enemies of democracy is, is is who is winning. It's not it's not the the people who are truly truly advocates of democracy who are causing democracy to fail. Not that at all. But it's it's like you said, Ari. You know they they have to have a great reawakening. What's that Joni Mitchell song? It's um, don't it all seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Yeah. And she was talking about environmental issues. But the truth is, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And one day, Europe is going to look around, and, and when everyone's Sharia compliant, uh, if they're even still there in Europe at that point, and say, well, I, we really had a good thing going there. I, I really liked you know, the freedom that I had to, to speak my mind. I, I liked the freedom to be able to look at a girl and and uh, you know, ask her on a date, and, and a woman will say, "I like I like the freedom that I had to be able to flirt with a boy, and and to to be who I am, and to to pursue my my career and my dreams of being an actor or whatever." And keep my private parts intact. That's right, exactly. To not be molested, to it, it, all those things. I and they'll just say, "Wow, what a, what a shame!" And then, of course, by then it's too late. They won't have anything to fight for because that. It won't be there anymore. There's, there won't be any structure within which they can fight or defend, for that matter. The castle walls will have already been destroyed. And, and all because, because of the free will aspect of it. Free will requires responsibility, like I said. If you, if you don't nourish it, you will suffer the fate of Europe. We in America will suffer its fate. Unless we embrace free will, unless we understand that free will is the very essence of who we are as human beings. Yeah, and, and there's a really important point that no one's speaking of that you just hit on. England and France, for all their socialist state impotence, still possess very powerful armies and are armed with nuclear weapons. And France is an entirely nuclear-powered country. Right. Do you really want that country falling into the hands of a Sharia-compliant government? Yeah. Do you really want England's nuclear arsenal being controlled by an Islamic totalitarian government a la Iran? Remember, Iran and Afghanistan before 1979 were not first world nations, but they weren't the 7th century hellholes they are today. Right. Look how fast they went. Look, we talked bef uh, before about... Uh you know, the, the, the slow creep of the increasing taxes, for example, the slow creep of increasing regulations. And we don't notice it from a year-to-year -year basis, but you might notice it from a decade-to-decade -decade basis. 
And certainly you'll notice it from a half-century to half-century basis. And everyone will tell you, gosh, you know, 50 years ago, we wouldn't be having um, all these restrictions on our business lives and, and our personal lives. Kids would be able to roam around the, the street freely. Yes, there were problems, and, they, and those problems always revolve around discrimination against blacks. I, I get that, but they didn't go hand in hand. They just happened to fit the time. And from a, from a cultural point of view, it was a freer time for everyone. It was a time where we embraced freedom, where we embraced God. We talk a lot about those things, about, about God being the cornerstone of advancing any civilization, that without God, every culture must, must fail. But likewise, the same thing is true with free will. If you don't understand that you are creatures of free will, then you won't ever understand that you have a purpose. Free, you, you won't understand why you even have free will in the first place. If you don't understand free will, then, then you truly don't see yourself as anything more than a somewhat more sophisticated animal. To use the porcupine analysis, uh, I, you're just a little bit more observant than the porcupine. You have that brain capacity that's greater than a porcupine, but that's it, nothing more. And, and why act any more differently than a porcupine or a, a dog or anything else? And, and that's why people have no problem, you know, dressing the way they do, you know, half naked on occasions. In Europe, there are some cities you just walk around naked. San Francisco now is a, a clothing optional city. Now, why you would want to go naked in, in a cold city like San Francisco, that's another story, but, but weird, right? It's almost as if we're, we're trying to say we don't want free will, we don't want to, to differentiate ourselves from the animals anymore. We just we want to be creatures. And, and so the, the Muslim, the radical Muslim invaders, the radical ones, of course, I'm talking about, they, they're, they're only too happy to oblige. You, you want to give us your free will? We'll take it. And it's, it's a, and, and you're seeing it. You, you may think I'm, I'm, being, I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. They say it themselves at their protests. They say democracy must die. Yeah. Freedom is for losers. Right. Sharia is coming. Well, but, but, that, but the, the Islamists say that. But I'm, I'm talking about the European uh, response to it. The European response is, you can you can continue to rape us. Right. You can murder us. Right. But that's so long as you are a. They say that, and then the Europeans shrug and have no counter argument to say no. My, our foot is put down. You will not take our freedom. Right. Right. But they, they will say, please take our our freedom away from us. They they want that, because they've been they've been telling it to themselves. We don't believe in freedom. They don't believe in God either. There is no free will. So what is there to why? Why would they fight? And they also don't believe in, in, in guns. They don't believe in the death penalty. So surprise, surprise, here come these marauders coming in, assuming all sorts of issues and facts and, uh, sorry, new facts on the ground. They don't have anything to defend with. But it's not just guns to defend with, it's ideas. The notion to actually have a spine, to stand up and say, I don't like what you have to say. But then you have to say, well, why don't you like it? And what's a better system? And they have nothing to respond with. And that response should be the love and embrace of free will and freedom itself. Without that, Europe is truly doomed. And my friends, it has already gone over that cliff. All right, don't go away. We'll be right back.
Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a client who had opened up a food operation in a shopping center, but the landlord had misrepresented the amount of foot traffic that your client would get. Yeah, Dennis, and very quickly my client felt the impact, losing a tremendous amount of money each month. He had invested $250,000 in improvements into the business. All right, how did you resolve that one? It turns out that the shopping center was about to be sold, so we waited for just the right moment before the sale because we knew the landlord would not want to have to disclose this major lawsuit. Suddenly, he's settled for a lot of money. Sometimes you have to know how to time your luck. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now, listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. talk about the primaries. I know that we don't like to uh, focus on things that are not timeless. In other words, we, we want to be able to have these podcasts listened to years from now and people still understand them in context. Uh, I, I understand that. But this election, the year of 2016, is so phenomenally different. And I want to I look at it actually as a historical moment rather than see it as something that is uh, happening only... Um, you know, as a as a current event, because it's much more than that, right, Ari? Yes. All right. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's truly a miracle. Yeah. It's it's what conservatives have been waiting for all this time, and you know, it's that old thing that it, it, we've been in such in, mired in such political darkness, headed toward this this pit. To even have this chance at this kind of debate, to have finally have a substantive election. In all these years, is a miracle that's happening right now. It's, it's really true. We, um, we we look at this time. This is kind of like I don't know, studying the Cuban Missile Crisis, and we are uh, and, and and seeing it only as a news event for the for the time being. No, this is as significant as the Cuban Missile Crisis, as the 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 building of the Berlin Wall as a, a whole bunch of different things that we can use you could point to this is a moment in time that will be spoken about for many decades to come the year 2016 a very odd year indeed it is a threshold moment in American politics for many reasons uh, we've talked about them before we we said that uh, the the rise of Trump is not because of Trump it's because the circumstances were such that somebody like Trump would gain a lot of popularity. Likewise with Bernie Sanders. He, uh, he, he gained popularity because the time has lofted him up there. Right man, so to speak, right time, right place. And uh, that's what these two men are, are revealing. Now, I'm not happy about either of them, right? We don't like Trump. We don't like Bernie Sanders. But we're witnessing this extraordinary moment where... It, by golly, we just don't know what is happening and what's going to happen in the Democratic side of the equation, nor on the Republican side of the equation. Uh, now, as we speak here today, it looks more and more like 
uh, Ted Cruz will take the nomination. There are questions as to whether uh, Trump, who will ultimately lose the nomination, whether he'll run an independent run. There are questions about that. Um, and likewise with Bernie Sanders. W will he nip at the heels of Hillary Clinton so much that it will, it will hurt her? Uh, I think it will hurt her, whether it's enough to, to cause her to lose the election. That's another story. But, but it's fascinating. We just, as we sit here today, the Wisconsin primaries have concluded. And Ted Cruz has won very handily. He's won 40 of the 42 delegates. Um, Kasich, who is uh, a distant third, has taken no delegates. And Trump, of course, has taken only two. Um, and likewise, on the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders did a very nice sweep in Wisconsin. He did uh, a very good, solid showing there. Much to, of course, Hillary's chagrin. What does this all mean? What, what, why, why is this happening? Who are, what are we to expect out of this all? I think at the end of the day, we're going to have a polarized election. We're going to have somebody who's on the extreme left, which is easy to, to predict because both Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are on the extreme left. And whoever, <clears throat> if, if neither of them are the nominee ultimately, for whatever reason, whether it's because of uh, an indictment against Hillary or otherwise, uh, or God forbid she has a health crisis, but the Democrats will still put up somebody who is very far on the left. That's the way it's going to be. So we know that. We think that the only way to answer that is to have somebody who is very strongly conservative on the right. If you want to stay very far on the right, fine. Uh, I'm all for it. But Ted Cruz is that man. He's, uh, he's now all of a sudden people I've noticed are really warming up to him. And it's this galvanizing moment that I think is a, a couple of things have happened uh, during this campaign season that, you know, and God knows there'll be more things happening as well, but good for now. You, you've noticed that, that Ted Cruz has been sitting somewhat quietly on the sidelines. There's been no real uh, true um, scandal associated with him. He's been measured in his words. Um, a couple of gaps here and there, but nothing really substantial that you could say will take him down. And, and, and not only that, but he's been kind of a, he's been victimized by Trump to some extent with the whole wives thing. I think that was Trump's, you know, from a character point of view, was a really awful decision. And it made him look petty and, and stupid and mean. And nobody likes mean. They, they, may, they may not mind somebody who's not politically correct, but they don't like mean. And this came off as extremely mean. And guess who the victim was? Ted Cruz. And I think that, uh, Ted Cruz and his wife, I think that only galvanized more support for Ted Cruz at the end of the day. And then Trump makes uh, a bizarre comment about abortion. And uh, four. <clears throat> four of them, right, comments. back and forth. Yeah, we, we don't need to get into the details right. of it, but it, back but and it forth, back and forth. it was one after another, as if one wasn't enough. Yeah, it, it's yeah. like that, that crazy scene in the movie uh, uh, Swingers where the guy keeps on calling up this girl uh, that he likes and only gets her, her voicemail, and he keeps on changing his mind all the time. And eventually you as the viewer of the movie are saying, don't call again. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> and he keeps on going, and then finally she picks up and she says, don't ever call me again. Right. So that's the same thing. That's what happened with Trump and his abortion comments. He just kept on going. And it was just embarrassing for him. I think both sides were just like, you know, grimacing saying, just stop talking, Trump. Anyway, um, he's really kind of shot himself in the foot. 
I think he's on his, you know, a, a mild descent at this point um, into oblivion. He's not going to get the nomination. That's my, that's our prediction. And it's a little bit of hope there, of course, but I think uh, there's very little chance that he can get the majority of the delegates necessary to, to, to take the nomination. And if that's the case, then it goes into a broker convention. And uh, Ted Cruz, who might still get the majority of the delegates, not likely, but he still could. Even if he couldn't, then broker convention, he wins in the broker convention. And that is a great sign. And, he, and Ted Cruz also was very smart about how he rallied his delegates <clears throat> in the various different states to ensure success in the nomination process. But this is all by way of tactics and strategy. What's more important is how, you know, as, as we look back, there were, what, 16 or 17 um, people that were gunning for the presidency on the Republican side, right? And then slowly, one by one, not unlike, you know, all the children in, in the Willy Wonka movie, right? They, they kind of fall by the wayside because they, they made this mistake or that mistake or they didn't know how to focus on a particularly important issue. <clears throat> and here comes, here comes Ted Cruz, who's lofting up to the top of this, this crew, an esteemed crew. But we both liked Ted Cruz from the very beginning. And, and Ted Cruz had that um, insistence, his, his singularity of purpose, that he knew what America was all about, and he knew that America must be taken there. And I think that's the reason why he's eventually lofted up to the position that he now has. People are beginning to understand, who is this Ted Cruz guy? He's the guy that has a vision. He understands that we need to take it here. We, he's not going to nuance it. He's not going to play the game. And he's not establishment. And this is why we are, why Ted Cruz has, has succeeded so well. At the end of the day, Ari, I think we're going to have <clears throat> a right-wing, left-wing divide. A very strong one. It won't be like 1996 with Robert Dole on the one hand and Bill Clinton on the other hand, or, or Fred, uh, Gerald Ford on the one hand and, and Jimmy Carter on the other. It won't be like that. These are going to be a very clear choice. Are you going to go even further left, America, or are you going to come back to where you belong, to the Constitution and so forth? I think we're going to see that Ted Cruz will not only become the nominee, but will also become the president. All the, all the factors suggest so. And I say that not from a prediction point of view because, you know, <clears throat> um, Trump is going to make more mistakes and... And Ted Cruz, you know, will just be more formidable and more kind and say the right words and such like that. I say it because I think that the mood of the country wants direction. We don't have direction now, not with Obama. And I think the country also realizes we won't have direction with, with Clinton. And Bernie Sanders, while he offers a certain uh, worldview, a zeitgeist, um, I think that it, people understand that it's garbage. It can't possibly win. So here comes Ted Cruz with a clear vision. And it's a completely different vision than what we've been seeing for the past eight years. And God bless it. I think that's, that is the right vision. People won't mind saying, look, how about if we try this Constitution thing? How about if we understand the notion of states' rights? How about if we trust the private sector once again? It seemed to work in the 80s. It seemed to work in the 50s and the 40s. Why don't we try that now again? 
And even if you don't have a historical basis to understand that, even if you don't, one thing we do know is that even a young person who has very little education or you know, perspective on history will be able to say, I don't like what's happening right now. There's got to be a different way. And I don't know about this Ted Cruz guy, but I just know one thing. He's going to be something, doing something completely the opposite of what Obama has offered and now what Clinton is offering. So I don't know, you know, Clinton, when, when I think about her, I, I think, you know, she, she reminds me of the, of, the, um, of, the, of the, the group that goes down the wrong path on a hiking trail. And they, they keep on going further and further. And eventually you say, you know what, I'm, I'm quite sure we're lost <laughs> and we're going to go hungry soon. And Clinton is the woman, is the person who says, let's keep on going this direction. You know, more and more into the, to the crazy jungle that you don't recognize. Well, I think we should go back, is what you say. No, 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 let's keep on going. I like this direction. Into the oblivion. And all you know is you're getting hungrier, colder, and uh, more desperate at the same time. So uh, all those things kind of lead me to the, to the belief very strongly that Ted Cruz will win. But this conservative base is now kind of, kind of reaching a nice peak. I don't know. I don't know for sure, but this, this is my gut telling me. This is the waft of information that's coming up for me. We don't know. Uh, Ted Cruz uh, might very well be that man. Um, but I, I do know that focusing on um, constitutional thinking, for example, versus the way that, that the liberals have, have adopted it, that any, the anything goes platform. People are sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of it. You're sick and tired of it. And we all know that the, the, the judiciary will eventually take us down if we, uh, if we let somebody like Obama or, or Clinton continue to, um, to impose the will of a liberal ideology on the Constitution and, uh, and just change case law and, and our whole jurisprudence forever. That's what's going to happen. But we'll be smart about that. And, you know, it's, it's so difficult for our friends on the left to make the argument that uh, such and such policies should continue, considering how many of their voters are so angry. Yeah. If things were so good under Obama, who, remember, was the promised liberal that they've been waiting we are the ones we've been waiting for right or right right yeah how how did it fail so horribly for them on the ground why are yeah. these people so miserable and how are they going to trust voting for more of the same that's why that's why bernie sanders is is resonating with them and it's not like the bernie sanders voters are going to vote for hillary clinton in a general election the reason they're supporting bernie sanders in the primaries <clears throat> is because mm-hmm. hillary is revolting to them yeah yeah, that's right. Uh, and there's a sense of um, that Hillary Clinton is meet the new boss, same as the old boss, right? Um, and, and the old boss has been basically peeing on their leg and tell, telling them that it's, it's raining. And people really don't like being lied to. They just don't like it. And this is what this president has been doing. He's really been lying. And I think people sense it. They, it's not as if people look at President, Clinton, uh, President Obama and saying... And, and saying uh, Gosh, you know, what a dishonest person and such. But in their core, they know that there's something wrong with this guy. That, that he is, if not outright dishonest, 
that he's he's kind of fudging things in a certain way to kind of create a rosy picture when when indeed there's nothing there to, to be rosy about. Uh, the peeing on the leg thing and, and telling you that it's raining. There, yeah, there's liquid pouring down your leg, but it's not the kind of liquid that you think it is. It's not cold and clear. Right. And so, but this, so, so, I mean, example after example we can give, but Benghazi is a very good example. Um, it's, it's, it's so emblematic. That's why I bring it up first, where that it's, it's the video uh, that, that made the difference here, that, that this is the reason why it was a spontaneous reaction. We know that it, that was garbage. And then they try to force a fit into that, um, where they tell us that, uh, the, that everything is going swimmingly well against ISIS where they tell us that uh, you know, Russia will rue the day, that, that it goes into Syria and such. Um, that or the Iranian nuclear weapons. Oh, thing. even a great example. I mean, I, I thought it, uh, one of the most telling re- elective realities, and that's this, is that to win elections, Democrats have to convince you they're conservative. Obama did not run for re-election in 2012 saying, if elected, I promise Iran will get a, a deal from me that will raise all their sanctions. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. He had to promise the opposite. So the reason Ted Cruz, and this is our prediction on Ted Cruz, isn't much prediction, it's analysis. The reason he will win is because of the four remaining competitors. He's the only one who's an authentic conservative who speaks conservatism, which by definition is the needed language a politician must speak with convincingly to win a national election in America, no matter what era. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he, he's got that. And again, we're looking at 2016 as, as though it's a historical moment. We are, we are studying 2016 and understanding the, the basic movement of the country. Um, it, you know, yes, sure, we may be totally wrong on this, but a lot of things would have to happen for us to be totally wrong. Uh, but then again, you know, life, life is, is unpredictable. Um, there may be other factors that will come into play. For example, the economy somehow may suddenly do very well. Um, a rip-roaring well. I, I doubt it because of the policies of Obama, but nevertheless, it's, it's probably not going to happen. And as a consequence, uh, that's going to inure to the benefit of the Republicans. You mean the Democrats? Yeah, I'm sorry, if, 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 if it does do rip-roaring well. Um, but barring that, um, and barring some sort of terrible tragedy of any of the candidates getting hurt or being unable to run for office... Uh, then I think you, you can predict pretty safely that there's going to be a Ted Cruz victory. And people are going to be so shocked, so shocked, just like they were with Ronald Reagan. I remember it. You remember it with Jimmy Carter. Um, you know, it was fairly close to the end, but we all had a sense that, that Ronald Reagan would win handily. But boy, did he win handily. He won by a landslide both times that he ran. And and looking back, it seems so obvious. But the same thing is going to be happening here. Because a lot of people are predicting, oh, you know, it'll be a close race between Ted Cruz. And, but they're, they're speaking the language of 1996, right? This is, this is 1996 thinking, where, you know, you bring up your establishment Democrat, we bring our establishment Republican, and let's see how it turns out. And the New York Times editorial page will give an endorsement that will carry weight. Because <laughs> right. people read the old gray lady. Right. Yeah, exactly right. And, and we don't live a, in that world. Anymore. We don't. We don't live in it. And it's what, there's a real politic that's going on now that people just don't understand. We live. We live in an internet age, in the same way. Now that I think about it, that the old days where you, you only got your news from NBC, ABC, or CBS, the evening news with Dan Rather, 
you know, and, and the appropriate other um, parallel. Brokaw Jennings. But there you go. Yeah. Thank you. Those days are, are, of course, gone. We all recognize that because you get your news now. Maybe you, you know you might want to read the Wall Street Journal. You might read if you're in the New York Times, fine. But then you've got your your Huffington Post on the left side, and uh, the Salon and and so on. And then you've got um, um, you Drudge know Bright, Breitbart. Breitbart, Drudge, and a whole bunch of other conservative outlets that you can choose to do. You you can do your own research so quickly, and they, they the two parties the establishment side of the two parties think that they're the equivalent of the ABC, CBS, and NBC News, when you think about it, right? They think that the world is still only watching ABC, CBS, and, uh, and ABC, uh, NBC, CBS, and ABC Nightly News at 5.30. Tune in for your news, right? They think that that's what it's all about. And we don't want that. We want something else. We want something that's more accurate, that's more responsive, and more, for that matter, reliable. Okay, so, and, and I guess effective, too. And they think they might find it in Trump on the one hand, and they think they might find it in Sanders on the other hand, but they're just grasping. They just want anybody but the establishment. So, Hillary, good luck to you, because, baby, you're establishment. And that's why we, we somewhat can easily predict your loss. And that's before... I, I, I'm sorry. That's after all the other nonsense of, of that, that's specific to Hillary herself. Yeah, right? scandal, all the scandals, the lies, bad yeah. candidates. I mean, just take a bland establishment Democrat without the scandals. Yeah, Evan Bai. Evan Bai, great. Yeah. yeah, he he would lose too, because you know he stands for all the classic establishment Democrat policies, pro union, you know what have you, you know increased minimum wage and, and so on. Um, you know, entitlements and handouts and, and all that. And the, the, the country is tired of it. It is time for a more conservative approach, and it's going to happen. And I think we're going to see a Reagan-type, maybe not landslide, but a clear majority. And I'm, I'm very excited about it. How many months were we, are we away? Five, six months um, from the November election? I think seven months to this day, actually. Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, it's going to be very fun. On the to, date of this recording, not the yeah, date of this right, right, right. broadcasting. Right. So we, we'll, we'll uh, look back on this. Um, and, you know, look, we're, we're, we are two types that are ready to make predictions where we feel very strongly about them. We won't make predictions because, you know, I think, you know, this weekend it'll be sunny and here's the temperature I anticipate. It'll be somewhat windy. Eh, you know, we, we know what we don't know, right? But we do know some basic things about the American people. And, and we also know some basic thing, things about human nature. And this is what this podcast is all about. This, this is the reason why we have this podcast. Yeah, and I, I don't want to get into electoral math or no. into the weeds on it, but let's just take one thing. Of those four candidates, Sanders, Clinton, Trump, Cruz. Cruz. Mm-hmm. Trump, Cruz, and Sanders are all perceived as anti-establishment. For better or worse right. reasons, some may be, some may not be. Right. But they're perceived that way. Look at the amount of votes Sanders, Trump, and Cruz are getting in aggregate. That's 75% of the electorate. Of, of It's 80% of one party and about 50 to 60% of the second party's votes all in aggregate towards anti-establishment. It doesn't take genius drill down no, it really analysis doesn't. to immediately go, 
you know what? There's a unification of voters in both parties who don't want the bums to stay in office. Right, right. They, that's, they, that's pretty interesting. But the, you see, this is classic. The way that, that they respond when, when so many of our, of our good liberal friends, they start making predictions about the, the, you know, the, this upcoming election and such. The way they talk about it, it's, it reflects their, again, inability to understand human nature, inability for them to understand that things change, and inability to understand consequences. All the things that we talk about so much. But yet they see, they, they see themselves that the establishment, they, 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 they themselves acknowledge, at this point at least, that it's the non-establishment that seems to be getting a hold here, that there's, there's a serious threat. And yet they still talk in their predictions in establishment terms. They are, they are analyzing this election as though it's 1996. Yeah, and they say just then, by that you mean things I believe like, well, women will vote for Hillary. Yeah. And oh. kids will vote for Sanders. Great example. <laughs> right? Exactly right. It, that, that is. And angry white men will vote for Trump. <laughs> well, but, but they still think that Jeb Bush will be the nominee. They well, they thought that yeah. until three months ago. Right, and they think that you know Hillary Clinton should be because, frankly, because she should be. You know, this is, but this is, they don't realize that this whole mantra has left the station. It's like saying, let's go back to LPs, you know, as you know, vinyl records. You know, well, no, there's this new thing called uh, digital and compact discs, and now, of course, MP3 players, and everything is uh, downloadable on from iTunes. Well, but I'm, I'm still. Let's go to the record store. Well, but, and then you say, yeah. there ain't no record store no more. Well, actually, um, Barack, uh, LP vinyl is actually growing. But it, the, to You the, get my yeah. point. They, but it would be like saying, let's go back to CDs. Let's keep everything Whatever. on disc I mean, again. Yeah, my, my point is uh, that, that you, you just don't, you, it's just not there anymore, the, yeah. the industry. It's like, uh, and I mean, there's so many jokes about this. We can make like, you know, the bookstores and everything else. It's just, it's just not done this way. Or asking, you know, you know, please get the whiteout for the typewriter. It, it, that's not the way it's done anymore. Okay, there's too many examples. You know, the Iceman. You know, let's let's make sure we re up with the Iceman. So, and until you understand that, in that things change, you can't talk the same way that you used to. And the way that the liberals are talking about Hillary Clinton and their hopes for her, it's so antiquated. It's so the way they think, generally speaking, isn't it? Right, this is why you and I, we, we seem to have this disconnect. Like, are we crazy to think that Ted Cruz will actually win it and actually win big? Because all our Democrats friends are saying, you know, I mean, and again, it's hopeful, wishful thinking on their part. But I, I think we're quite objective. Of course, we want Ted Cruz to win, but I think that we we actually see it quite clearly, because we're willing to see the problems and the and the the. the the advantages that we have, and also the mood of the country and everything else. They refuse to see that. In the same way, they refuse to see, for example, that, that the demographics for Social Security have completely altered, that it makes that Social Security makes no more sense anymore, and that it's on its way over the cliff. Yeah. But they can't, but they still talk about it as though it's, you know, it's 1933. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that it's the same prospect and same everything else. It's just not. Things have changed and things will change and they always will change. Um, but, but they talk about Hillary Clinton exactly that way. If how, how frustrating for you, my Democrat friends, because while you continue to, to 
talk about her in that way, you're just, you don't even realize that um, that the uh, the car that you've been driving has has been rendered obsolete. It doesn't it doesn't exist anymore. And you really ought to get out of that car because it's going to explode or or or, or worse. You've got you've got to look at your own party and say that you're the dinosaur, not us. You think that the conservatives are the dinosaur, but guess what? We're the real thing. You Democrats, you're the much older party for one thing, and you're, you've been the sa- saying the same old thing over and over again. You think you're new. You think you're all about change and progress, but in fact, you're, you're just saying the same thing over and over and over again, right? We conservatives simply say, let's go to the roots of the Constitution, limited government, and then let the business blossom. That's where the real progressives. Right. The people will make progress, yeah. not the government. That's and, right. And also, look how our Democrat friends are stuck on supporting candidates and policy positions that have, through just three things, welfare programs, government-run education, and gun control, have dis- decimated the inner cities and minority communities with crime and hopelessness and yeah, poverty. that's right. And sooner or later... And it seems to be sooner in this year, those communities are finally waking up and going, you know what? I'm done voting Democrat. Right. right. I'm done not being able to leave my house. I'm done having my kids come out of school dumber than they were when they went in. Yeah. I'm sick of having people killed on my street and mm-hmm. not being able to defend myself. I'm how, sick uh, of it. I'm how, done. Yeah. How any uh, minority of any color. Can, can, anti-personal, anti-person. Yeah. How any minority of any color can, you know, maybe when they're 20 years old, they can play the game. But if you're 60 years old and you're black or Hispanic or any minority of any kind, and, and you've been around the block now long enough to see these things, and you hear the same mantra over and over again, and at some point you got to say, I've been had. That's the, the key thing, and that's what's changing. And, you know... I'll, I'll finish off with this, Ari. There's a great Simpson episode, as there always is, of course, and they predict the future. And you see this. Hold on. No, they're not. There's, they're all great. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, anyway, so you see the kids watching an old 1950s film uh, about what the future is going to hold, right? Which, in and of itself, is funny is that they, that they're supposed to be in the 90s or the 2000s, right? And they're. They're being told what the future will hold, but the only film they have is something that was made in the 1950s. So it's already anachronistic as it is, right? So, but, but in this movie, you see, and what will the future hold? Perhaps uh, we'll we'll tell you if you know future future futuristians say that we can expect robots to deliver your mail, and you see this robot kind of flying in the sky. It lands in front of the house to 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 deliver your um um. What do you call them? The, the messages that the wire, the wire messages. Oh, your telegrams. Your telegrams, yeah. The, the robots will t- come to your house to deliver your telegrams, and so, like, like, the very notion that telegrams would still be meaningful in the future, of course it wouldn't be. It's email, right? I mean, that's what's so hysterical about that. But that, my friend, that is a Democrat. That's the liberal in particular. That's the way they think, and that's what Hillary Clinton is all about. She is just like the robot that they think will start delivering telegrams in the far distant glorious future. But she's not 
if you really want a great future, turn to the conservatives, and you might actually have a great chance. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you real soon.